And we are turning to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5 tonight. We are continuing in our study through the book of Daniel. Part 5 of the study we are entitling King of Kings. How all throughout history, God was, is, and will be sovereign in control above every ruler, principality, power, period. And we see that in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel describes a little bit of how the first world empire, arguably, was still not in complete power because there is authority above that authority. And the same is true today. Daniel chapter 5, and we'll be going through verses 1 through 12, reading that first, and then we'll be diving in. Listen, if you're new, I want to let you know not to feel weird. Feel right at home. We're a big family here. So if you don't know where to turn to in your Bible, you can ask somebody. I'm not going to be offended. Everybody else, though, is going to be taking notes, pulling their Bibles out. That's why we're here. We love each other. We're here to, like, hang out and have fun. But we also believe that the most fun thing can be discovering what the God of the universe wants to say to you. That's why I'm here. Hopefully that's why you're here. This is why I'm still in the church after, uh, I guess, I started youth group 2003, high school youth group. Snap. It's a long time ago. And I'm still here. I could be doing other things. But I get really excited when I see people like you discover that there's a God that loves them. And then their lives are transformed. The evidence of that are the people standing in the back. And the people sitting next to you. Your youth leaders. Largely, a good portion of them either serve with me in youth ministry in the past. Or... They were in the youth ministry when I was a youth pastor. It's like crazy. It's like the evidence. Like there is something special happening here. And you don't want to miss it because you, you were lacking faith. Because you didn't believe. You weren't leaning in. So what I'm going to ask you to do tonight is really, really try as best as possible for the next 40 minutes. 40 minutes or so. Focus in. Say, okay, I believe that there's an enemy of my soul that doesn't want me to hear what is about to be said tonight. But I believe that if we're paying attention, what we are talking about can and will change your life forever. If you don't believe me, just test it out for yourself. Okay, Daniel chapter 5. Last week we learned about if we don't humble ourselves, the only other option is that God will have to humble us. You can humble or be humbled. And we saw that in King Nebuchadnezzar as he was forced to, after he started taking the credit for his own power, his own kingdom, his own glory, that God had to humble him for seven years. First told him a prophecy, then a year later, God was so patient, gave him an entire year to change his outlook. And he didn't, forgot about it, and so he took the glory upon himself and God had to humble him for seven years and he was growing his fingernails out. He was crawling on all fours. He was acting like an animal. He lost his mind. And then at the end of seven years, God restored his kingdom to him. And then he repented. He gave glory to the God of the universe. Now, 
couple years later, we have a different ruler named Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Now, it'll be a little confusing if you don't know that, because it's going to say father in the text, but that, that term could have been generally for grandfather as well. So just so you know, Belshazzar is not the, uh, the, the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the grandson. And let's see what it has to say for us in verse 1 of chapter 5. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them took the vessels from God's own temple, okay? Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of the Bible? No, the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote, the op on, wrote opposite the lampstand on the pla plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me his interpretation shall be clothed with purple, which is a royal garment, very expensive, and have a chain of gold around his necklace, neck, not a necklace, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enig enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we open up your word, Lord, it's so easy to just let a text that's over 2,000 years, because we're in the Old Testament, over 2,000 years old, be almost like, it, it feels like it's not even relevant to us at all. But we know that's not true. Because you are a real God that spoke in history, and you want to speak now. So we are inviting you into this place, Lord. There are hearts open, ready to receive. And so, Lord, we want to learn from the teacher, who is Jesus, to be guided into the way that we ought to go, your spirit promised us, you promised by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth. And so we pray that we're able to enter into that truth and it transforms our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. A number of years ago, maybe you've heard this story, but I'll tell you again anyway. I was in Maryland, okay? I was visiting a friend, and there was this place called Caribou Coffee that I loved. Back before I started drinking real, like, specialty coffee, it's, it's like a glorified Starbucks. Their Frappuccinos are better then Starbucks Frappuccinos, in my opinion, Caribou Coffee, if you're ever in like the Maryland area, you know what I'm talking about. Very good. So I was in Maryland, and I saw Caribou Coffee. I put in the, you know, like 
back then, it was long enough that GPS was still like a new thing. We didn't really have smartphones. Had like my uh, MV number two. You know, I didn't have a smartphone. At least I don't think I did. But it was like a new thing having GPS. So I was kind of testing it out. But not everyone had GPS. I found it and I was like, yes, I am totally going to Caribou Coffee. And then I, I drive up and there's no parking anywhere. I'm like, what the heck? There's no parking. So I figured I'll park in the lot next to this Caribou Coffee. I go to the lot and I see the sign that says, please do not park here for neighboring businesses or your car will be towed. Now I'm thinking, number one, how will they know? if I'm going to a neighboring business. They're not going to know. It's literally like right over there. Number two, I'm going to be like two minutes. I'm going to go order my coffee, come right back, two minutes, that's it. So I'll just leave my car there and it'll be fine. Leave my car there, start walking over, literally, maybe it's been five minutes, tops. And I, I, as soon as I walk into the coffee shop, I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to send my friend back just to make sure that nothing happens to the car. He can wait with the car, I'll, I'll go order he runs back and he goes, Alan, the car's gone. Like, gone? What do you mean it's gone? He's like, it's gone. And so I run out and I'm looking and the car's gone. How did they tow a car in five minutes? Literally, I'm like, part of me is really upset, but the other part of me is really amazed. Like, how gifted do you have to be at towing things that you just pick up the car and you're gone in five minutes? Nothing in our government is that efficient. No offense to the government. Nothing is that efficient. And somehow they're really good at doing that. So I'm like, oh, gosh. So I call the number that's on there. I call the towing company. I'm like, hey, so where's my car? Like, well, you have to pick it up. It's about 10 miles away. Now, mind you, I'm in Maryland. I don't live in Maryland. How am I going to go 10 miles away to go pick up my car? This is, this is a conundrum. And so I'm talking to them on the phone. I'm like, how about this? I'll make you a deal. You turn around and bring my car back right now. Like, no. Like, okay, it was worth a shot. So now what do I do? So my friend has a friend that lived in Maryland, and she was going to come pick us up and drive us over to redeem my car. So she's coming. And remember, not everyone has GPS. So she's asking me, where are you guys? I do have GPS. And I'm looking at my GPS coordinates. Okay, you have to turn over here. What, what do you see right now? If you tell me what buildings, businesses you see, I can figure out what street you're on, and then I can guide you right to where I am. And all she says is, I see a, a homeless man. Do you see a homeless man? <laughs> like, homeless? What street are you on? Um, I totally see, like, the, the sky is very clear, and I see, like, there's people walking, and it's just the most indescript thing ever. And I'm going crazy at this point. I'm like, woman, stop. <laughs> Just tell me what street you're on. And she tells me the street. I'm like, oh, okay, I know where you are. Make a left. She's like, I'm making a right right now. I'm like, no. So it's like, took her forever. Long story short, she finally gets us after like a half hour, drive over to the towing company. And at that time, I was a student. So I asked them if there was a student discount. There was not. They laughed. And they had to pay $200. All that, I know, it was terrible. After I got my car back, I thought about it. I should have known better, right? I saw the sign. I knew they might tow my car. And I found out later that that particular parking lot just has this agreement with the towing company that they sit on the opposite side and just wait for people to park there. And sometimes customers for those businesses get their cars towed in, in a wrongful manner and like totally like just takes advantage of them. So it's like really messed up. But 
They had a sign, I saw it, and I ignored it. I should have known better. And this is kind of what we should be thinking about this guy named Belshazzar at this point in time. Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled in that for seven years. Seven years, as we just talked about, he was just like an animal. He lost his mind. All because he did, not, he did not give glory to God. And I can imagine his grandfather telling him, listen, whatever you do, make sure you're giving glory to the God of the Israelites because their God is the God above all gods. And yet he did not allow what he knew to affect the way that he lived. Belshazzar fell into the same sin that his grandfather was affected by, and that is the sin of pride, taking glory for himself. And I wonder how many of us are doing the same thing. We're going to see a little bit later how Belshazzar is humbled as we keep on reading, but I want to stop here for a second. How many of us, really, if we're honest, we should know better? If we sin, it's not because we don't know what sin is. It's because we don't know that it's wrong. It's that we choose to be ignorant. We're not allowing what we know to affect the way that we live. There's a story, and I actually shared this with the staff, like last time I did a staff Devo, but the story of when there was 10 lepers that all came to Jesus, all 10 of them were healed, and only one came back to give God thanks. You guys know the story. And then Jesus looks at that one leper who's thanking God, kneeling and praising him, and says, weren't there 10 of you were healed? Where are the other nine? And the, see, the, the interesting thing about that is the scriptures actually record that the one that came back was a Gentile, a non-Jew. In other words, it's a tragedy when the people who should know God's word the most, the Jewish people, failed to let it affect the way that they live. It's a tragedy when people like us grow up in church. We, we're not growing up on some remote island where we're not having access to the word of God. It's a tragedy when we have access, we go to Christian school, or we don't go to Christian school, but we have Christian families. We don't have Christian families, but we have the Bible. It's a shame when we know these things, but it doesn't transform the way that we live. And we're still struggling with the same sins. We're going through the same things. We're, al we're allowing the world to dictate how we live, but we're not allowing the gospel and the word of God to transform the way that we live. Ten lepers, all were, all were healed, and only one gave thanks. And shouldn't we, who are in the ultimate position, the best position to be able to praise God, shouldn't we worship God when we have time to? Not everyone in the world has the opportunity to worship God. We talked about North Korea before, right? North Koreans are not allowed to worship Jesus. What if we didn't have that opportunity? We do, and sometimes we fail in taking advantage of it. The Bible talks about Christians like this in this manner. That those that aren't looking forward to God's return, Jesus will come as a thief in the night. It'll catch you off guard because we're not redeeming the time. We're not being good stewards of what we're given. Now, I'm not saying that to guilt trip anyone. I'm saying that because it's almost like, I'm not saying if you're not living perfectly that you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that. Obviously, that's not true. By grace, we are saved. But do you want to, like, have Jesus just, like, we believe in the rapture. We believe that's a thing. We believe that Jesus is going to come back at any moment. 
And imagine whatever you're doing right now, if Jesus came back tonight, really, think about that. You hear that all the time. But if Jesus came back tonight, would you be ashamed? Would you look at your life and be like, ah, I was going to follow you tomorrow. And I didn't, I just, if Jesus came back while we were in worship service at 735, and we're just goofing off and just, and Jesus is like, hey, well, everybody else is worshiping. What's going on over here? Like, oh, you know, like something really important I want to tell my friend, you know. I'm not saying that to guilt trip anyone. I'm saying that because it's a reality that all of us can get distracted, myself included. I'm not perfect. I've texted before in service. And I'm not talking about like when pastors have to contact me and I have to have my phone on and stuff. I'm telling you, there are times that I feel in this regard too. And I need people, I need you guys to tap me on the shoulder. I need you to tell me like, hey, dude, that's, that's not okay. And do it respectfully. But it's okay. All of us get distracted. But that's why we're here tonight. To remind ourselves that Jesus is coming soon. And once you want to live your life to the fullest, so that when he comes back, you're anticipating it. You're not caught off guard. You're ready. You're, you're making, uh, you're, you're making, Every moment count. That's how I want to live my life. And I hope that you'll encourage me in doing that so I can encourage you in doing that. I want to make three observations real quick in this first portion of the chapter. Three observations. Number one, Belshazzar used God's treasure to celebrate his own gods. Belshazzar used God's treasure to celebrate his own gods. We see that in verses three through four. It says, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. So sad. Aren't those the same metals that that statue was made of in, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? They're praising the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. And they're using that, uh, they're using the very vessels that were in God's house, God's temple, in order to do that. You realize that's exactly what we do whenever we fail to worship the God of the universe. We're taking his vessels, our bodies, and we're worshiping other things that really aren't worth it. This is what Romans chapter 1 says, verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. We worship people, don't we? People worship celebrities. Like, if you don't believe that idolatry happens today, you're fooling yourself. People will do anything to make other people happy when they're in a relationship. People will do anything to grab a celebrity's attention when they're at, when they're at a concert. People will do anything because we're giving worship to mere people, like the Bible says. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That's Romans chapter 1. So all of this is an illustration, I think, tonight. Of how really we should be taking advantage of the time that we're given because we know better. We know better. We have the word of God. God has spoken. We've seen his works. 
and we should allow that to affect the way that we live. But here's our first point for tonight. Kind of like, I know that's a little disorganized. You'll forgive me. So our first point for the night is this. Sin robs God of his gifts and his worship. Sin robs God of his gifts and his worship. Now, when we talk about sin, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, <laughs> like, there's bad people out there, and Alan's talking about, like, when you're not paying attention during worship. It's like, not that big of a deal, right? Or we're talking about, like, there's drug dealers out there, there's people that murder people, and here we are, we're talking about little sins, like, I lied, okay, I lied this Everybody lies. Everybody gossips. It's not that big of a deal. And so what, what do you do when you don't think that you've done anything really that bad? Here's a quote by a person who's not a Christian, but it's still a great quote. He says this. We often judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions. You don't think that it's that bad because you're rationalizing everything that you do. But when you see other people saying, like, I can't believe they would do that. Oh, my gosh. Those people are terrible. You know what? They probably, they're probably just an evil person. I can't believe they would do that. But when you have similar thoughts or you do similar deeds, it's not really that bad because, you know, the reason why I want to do it is really because I have a good heart deep down inside. Well, if you think about it this way, God has given us everything we have so that we can worship him. And, and listen, when we worship God, we actually find the most satisfaction. Whenever you worship things that aren't God, you will always feel empty because it's not worth it. You're misusing what God has given you. This is what we do with everyday tools, right? The same knife that was designed by man to prepare a meal was misused by sin to kill. The same mouth that was designed by God to bless people is misused by sin to curse people. God has given us everything we have, and we can either use it for a good purpose that it was designed for, or we can misuse it in terms of sin. It could be big sins. It could be small sins. All sin is taking a good purpose that God has given us and distorting it and using it for our own selfish means. How serious is sin? Jesus had to die for our sins. That's how serious it is. When you and I make a mistake and you don't think it's that big of a deal, realize that Jesus went to the cross for every sin that you've committed, big and small. But maybe that still makes you question, right? Why did Jesus have to die? You ever think about the atonement, like the fact that Jesus went to the cross? Why didn't, why didn't God say, in order to atone for your sins, Jesus has to do 50 pull-ups. He has to do 1,000 pull-ups. You know, that's, that's a lot, right? Humankind has to do a thousand pull-ups each and then you'll all atone for your sins. Think about it this way. The Jewish people had to sacrifice thousands and thousands of lambs, innocent lambs, to atone for their sins. And even that wasn't able to atone for the sin. But why? Why do things have to die for sin? Why is that the punishment? I'll give you a helpful illustration by a theologian named, uh, well, he's more of a philosopher, Richard Swinburne of Oxford University. He said this a uh, number of years ago, and I, I thought it was great, so I'll, I'll just share it with you. Let's, let's take a human example. Let's imagine that I steal your watch, okay? I steal your watch from you, take it, like pretty cool, 
and then I accidentally break it. Oops. Now you find me, and you want the watch back. I can give you the watch back, but I kind of owe you more than just your watch back because I broke it, right? So in fact, I should pay for the reparations of the, the watch and then give it back. But even if I did that, what if I don't have any money to pay for the repair of the watch? But even if I somehow got money to pay for the watch, give it back, it almost seems like I owe you another watch because I took away something that you can't get back, the time that you missed your watch, the fact that I broke it, and then I, the pain and suffering, all the drama, all that stuff is a mess that doesn't just disappear when I say, hey, I'm sorry, here's your watch back, even if I somehow found the money to pay for it. Now pay attention. When we sin, we are taking a good thing God has created that was intended for good purposes, and we did something else with it. We misused it, and we hurt other people. Damage that can't be repaired. How many of you, when people say sorry, you feel like it's not enough? This is why people do an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. When people hurt you, you want to publicly shame them. When people hurt you, you want to do two times more than what they did to you because you feel like even if you make it equal, it's still not enough because it shouldn't have happened in the first place. This is why Jesus is the only person who can cover yours and I sin. Yours and my sin. It's because of this. Listen, even if we somehow said, from now on, I'm going to be perfect, and we did it, that still doesn't make up for the life that we completely distorted up until this point. We have to somehow have someone else live a perfect life and then replace the life that we lived thus far. That's what Jesus did. It's not enough for Jesus to come to the world and, and die. He has to live a perfect life going through temptations that we should have went through and then be a substitution for the life that we messed up. That's what Jesus did and that's why he had to die on the cross. So he essentially is living the life that we should have lived. Every sin, whether big or small, is costly. It costs Jesus his life or it will cost us our lives. Listen, it's very important. And when we diminish our sin, that's because we're not the person offended. God's the one who's offended. But then even at that, God's, God says in his word how sin is corrupting us from the, the inside out. When we commit sexual sin, it's the only sin that a person commits against their own body. So check this out. I'll give you a perfect example of this too. I heard this from my youth pastor a long time ago. Every time God says no to something, it's because he says yes to something else. You may have heard me say that before, but it's worth me saying again so that you memorize it, so that when you're talking to somebody else about Jesus, and hopefully you are doing that, hopefully you're talking to other people about Jesus, and you're remembering these things, it's effective. It, like, makes sense. Every time God says no to something, it's because he has a greater yes to something else. Why does he say no to sex outside of marriage? Is it because God doesn't want you to have sex? No, it's because he says yes to sex inside of marriage. Statistically, people that are married and committed are happier than people that sleep around. And if you thought about this way, if everyone in the world just obeyed this one commandment, don't have sex outside of marriage, think about this. Everyone obeyed that. There'd be no rape. There'd be a significantly reduced amount of abortions. There'd be, you know, the divorce thing. All those things would be eliminated. No STDs. And you have to ask yourself, a world without STDs, without rape, without many kids being aborted, is that world better or worse than the world that we're currently living in? Obviously, everyone would say, 
better. Because God has a better way of doing things. Even if, in the moment, we don't see it, we got to trust him that he knows that the person who designed us knows how to use the person, uh, the life that we've been given. It's almost like when you're like, trying to figure things out, you like unbox something, you're trying to build something, there's the instructions, you kind of ignore it, and you're like, I can figure it out on my own. And then like you bend a screw because like you're not paying attention, you're using, using a drill, you're building a desk or whatever, that's what I was doing this past week. It's because you're not paying attention to the instructions. If we just listened to what God gave us in his word, we'd completely miss so much hurt and suffering. I think that's logical. You can disagree if you want, but then you have to come up with better logic than what I just told you, just so you know. Every time God says no, no to something, it's because he says yes to something else. Sex outside of marriage, lying. Why does he say no to lying? So that you can tell the truth. Stop hurting people. Why does he say no to coveting? Because he has designed you uniquely and has given you things that you can enjoy. Okay, here's the second observation. I know that's a little confusing. This is the second point, second observation in the first portion of the text that we went over. Observation two. Belshazzar was terrified of God's presence. So the first observation we made is that Belshazzar used God's gifts, his, his things, in order to give himself glory and it's messed up. Celebrate his own gods. Number two is Belshazzar was terrified of God's presence. Look at verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the pastor of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. Would you say, if I just read this description to you, which is pretty crazy, right? Like, like he's partying, celebrating, and you just see this hand, like this hand without a body, just like writing on the wall. Like, you saw him get freaked out. His knees are knocking together. He's just like completely terrified. Would you say... Belshazzar and God are really tight? Would you say they have a great relationship? Would you say that they're buddies? Probably not. I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to know that. Or Evan Margareta. But then, if that's true, if you are constantly in fear of God's judgment, how would you describe your relationship with God? If you are constantly in fear that God hates you, that God doesn't forgive you, that God doesn't love you, how would you say your relationship with God is? You guys are tight. You guys are buddies. This is what the Bible says. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Jesus bridged the gap. He completely stepped over and extended his hand when he went to the cross. That now there's no, nothing to be afraid of. Before, there was a giant thick veil that separated people from the holies of holies. The high priest could go in once a year to enter into the presence of God. That was it. And if he had any sin, anything he didn't repent of, he would just die. And then he'd have like a rope tied to him with little bells. And if he dropped dead, like his friends would pull him out. They'd hear the bell and be like, all right, just pull him out because he died. We don't have that kind of... We don't have to have that kind of fearful relationship with God because we approach him as sons. If you're approaching somebody super famous, you'd probably be nervous, right? If you went to a concert, you got to talk to your favorite musician afterwards, you'd be nervous, right? You'd be afraid of saying something stupid. But if you're his kid, it's completely different. 
you almost take it like, it's not a big deal, right? This doesn't mean that you're disrespectful. But if you are constantly afraid and we're constantly praying the sinner's prayer over and over again in order to feel better about ourselves, maybe, maybe we can say that we're not having a loving relationship with God and we have to be educated in his love. Here's a third observation in this section. So Daniel had a reputation of being filled with God's spirit. You see that in verse 11 through 12. The queen told him in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And then tells him about what Nebuchadnezzar did with him. Isn't that a reputation you want? That people just know that you have the spirit of God living in you. I'll just leave it at that. You can apply it from there. All right, read verse 13 with me. Continuing on. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, that, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the astrologers have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So just kind of couple textual notes because it's like why is he the third ruler in the kingdom actually uh for a long time up until the 1800s people thought that this is one of the reasons why the bible was inaccurate because there was no historical evidence of this guy belshazzar living ever up until about 1850 double check the date you can google if you want around 1850 uh, up until that point there is no record of any name belshazzar as king of babylon like, why wouldn't that be there? Well, actually, around 1850 or so, there was this, um, almost like this vase, this cylinder, that was discovered with cuneiform text on it, and it had Belshazzar's name on it as a son of the last known Babylonian king, Nabonidus. So what happened was, according to this um, historian Herod Herodotus, he said that, the son of um, Nabonidus, who is the last king of Babylon, was Belshazzar. And so that guy, he was kind of given terrain. Like, he was like, I, I don't know what the word is. He was allowed to sit in the king's seat in Babylon while Na Nabonidus was fighting Darius the Mede. Okay, so he's going off to fight. Remember the prophecy about, like, there's going to be the Persian kingdom that takes over the Babylonian kingdom. So Nabonidus, who was actually the king, is leaving to go fight them. And so he leaves his son, um, this guy Belshazzar, in charge. That's kind of a discrepancy, just so you know. Probably didn't care, but it's just important to know. Because in 1850, they found it like, Belshazzar, there it is. Makes sense. Cool. Okay. What is my point here? My point is number two. Write this down. See, so guys, I knew. Number two. Don't aim for earthly rewards. Don't aim for earthly rewards. We see this in verses seven, uh, 13 through 17. We just read it. I love this. Daniel did not take for himself what rightly belonged to God. 
Belshazzar was like, hey, you're going to be the third ruler in the kingdom because he couldn't give the second place because he was number two. Number one was Nabonidus. So you'll be the third most powerful person in all of the kingdom. And he'll give it the, get, get you the gold chain and whatever, give you riches. He's like, Let's, you can give it to somebody else. I don't really care. I love that. Because how many of us, if we're honest, are still aiming to receive some kind of earthly compensation? I will serve God if he finds me the, the, the woman or the, or the man of my dreams. I'll serve God if he makes me famous. He makes me successful. If I make a lot of money, then I'll follow God. I'll read my Bible if you give me what I want. It reminds me of the story of uh, Elijah and Gehazi in 2 Kings chapter 5. This guy, Naaman, who was a leper, who was a commander, he went to go he be healed by Elijah. And as he went, he was healed of his leprosy. And he's like, oh, I want to give you gifts. Let me give you some money. Let me give you some clothes. He's like, no, nah, no, I'm sorry. I just, no, that's God's. I'm not going to take it. And so he's like, all right, fine. So he leaves. And then Elijah's servant, Gehazi, is like, what is he doing? I got to go find him. So he chases after this guy, Naaman, after he's healed of leprosy. He's like, hey, so um, funny, you should, you should like be here at this time, and I'm here too. Wow, that's really pretty cool. Actually, I want to tell you something. There's like two people that actually staying with us, and they just, just came. We could really use like a talent of silver, some money, and, and some clothes. So if you give that, totally be good. And Naaman's like, yeah, totally. Yeah, sure. Take two talents of silver, and I'll give you some clothes. And he took it back. Gehazi goes back, and Elijah's like, hey, so where you been? He's like, oh, you know, just kind of just hanging out. <laughs> That's what I do. I just hang out. I'm your servant. Why would I do anything different? And Elijah knew. And so because of that, Gehazi, the servant, was given the leprosy because he took what rightly belonged to God. For us, this is what the Bible teaches us. Whenever we're seeking the earthly rewards, the Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 10, Likewise, you, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. How much of our earthly, uh, how much of our ministry and our motivation is put on by earthly rewards? How, mu how much of our serving will only be done if we get a pat on the back or someone says thank you? If we don't get that, we're just like, I can't, I'm never sure. I'm going to take my gifts to a different youth group where they appreciate me. And like who I am. That's not, that's not the heart of the Lord. The heart of the Lord is to be a servant. We serve the Lord of Christ. And because of that, whether our parents thank us, whether our teachers thank us, whether people thank us, it doesn't matter. We're doing it heartily as unto the Lord because we're looking for the thank you from God. We're looking for the reward from God in heaven. And we may not receive it here on earth. So just something to think about. Don't aim for earthly rewards. This is what Daniel did, and because of that, he got them anyway, but he's like, I don't really care. And actually, what's interesting is, what we're going to see a little bit later is, that night, Belshazzar was killed, and Darius and Mede took over. So his kingdom only lasted for like, like he was the third ruler in, in the, the kingdom for only like a day. So it didn't even matter. It's temporary. Number three. Don't ignore what you've been taught. This is the last point. We'll be done. Don't ignore what you've been taught. Let's read the last verses. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom of majesty, glory, and honor. Because of that majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. 
Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. <clears throat> his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with the grass like oxen. His body is wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the most high rules in the kingdom of men points it over whomever he chooses. Verse 22, huge. You might want to underline this one. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. You should have known better. And you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. Praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not hear or see or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and knows all your ways. You have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and the writing was written. And this is the inscription which was written. Meany, meany, tekel, a parson. This is the interpretation of each word. Meany. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command to clothe Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Completely ignored it. It's like, didn't even hear, like, hey, you're going to die. Verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Okay. Don't ignore what you've been taught. Listen. This is exactly what Belshazzar did. He was told many times he had seen it, and yet he did not allow what he knew to affect the way that he lived. And so this is where we have to act on what we know. We have so much access to so much information now more than ever. You and I are not going to get to heaven one day, be before God, and then he asks, why should I let you in? And be like, oh, I just wish you like made yourself more real. I wish you told me. We will have no excuse, especially those of us that live here in America. The question is, what will you have done with the good news of Jesus rising from the dead? This is the message that heals people. You realize that, right? Like this message actually physically and spiritually heals people. And we have a responsibility to go out and share with every single person we see. Like that's why I'm here, to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And it's going to be required of us that we were good stewards of what we've been given. Now, if you are not a Christian here tonight, understand. Here's what you need to know. In the same way that Belshazzar, his days were numbered, that he was found wanting because he was not a good steward of it, and that his kingdom would be divided, we also, our days are numbered. It's also true of us that we were not accomplishing the things that God wanted us to accomplish. We should be using our lives in a certain way. He has a calling on your life. That's true for every single person here. And we've all failed to meet that standard. We've all failed to meet his requirements. And one day, we're going to be judged. He's going to weigh us out, our good deeds and our bad deeds. And if we're not perfect, we're not going to heaven. We're going to the place of eternal punishment. So the question will be, this is a reality, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying, this is reality. This is what the Bible says. Are you accounting on your own, are you trusting in your own righteousness in order to get to heaven? Or are you trusting in what Jesus has done? Because if you trust in Jesus, 
the scale will always point in your favor. If you put your trust in Jesus and say, it's his life I want you to judge, he's perfect. He wins. And then you are more, you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to live a perfect life from here on out. But you are free from living for yourself. This is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your, in your life. Pastor Lloyd says it all the time. Is that not that you become a perfect person. Like, I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. By no means. I'm a terrible person. But I hate the fact that I'm a terrible person. I can't be happy sinning. And it'll be true for you too. If the Holy Spirit takes control of your life, you're going to have a divine compass. You're going to have a teacher living inside of your heart who's going to guide you, tell you like, hey, you should do this, you should do that. You shouldn't do that. And listen, if you have the Holy Spirit and you live in sin, you're, you're going to be very miserable. Because all the time that you're running in sin, you're going to have to try to drown it out. That little voice that tells you, hey, really? You're going to do drugs? Really? You're going to drink? You're going to hang out with those people? Like, ah, uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to be happy. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, your life will never be the same. If you're not a believer in Jesus tonight, talk to one of us. We're not just, we haven't tossed our brains out the door and like, so let's be Christians now. We really believe that this faith makes sense, logically, that it's true in our hearts, and it also changes people's lives. We see it, okay? Now, that being the case, wouldn't you want to live a life, you look at it, you're like, man, that was well worth my time. There are very few things I can look back on and say, like, that was worth my time besides the things that were done for the kingdom of God. Because everything else is temporary. It's all going to fade away. All the trophies that you stack up at your house, in your room, it's all going to fade. It's all going to burn. You'll be forgotten. But the name of Jesus will never be forgotten. You trust in that name, and you will be lifted up with him. So, let's pray.